You're listening to the Fervent Church Podcast, a church in the Austin area who exists so that people may know Jesus. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged, challenged, and strengthened in your relationship with Jesus today. For more teachings, information, or to support our ministry, please visit fervent.church. We pray you're blessed by the message. All right, guys, so um, where we're going to be tonight is in Matthew chapter 21. So if you guys have um, your Bible with you, um, go ahead and open it to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to go through, I don't know how much of it we're going to go through, maybe all of it, maybe just a little portion of it. Um, But I just want to share it with you guys tonight in hopes that it would encourage you, challenge you. Uh, Maybe it'd be something different that you guys... um, don't normally get on a Palm Sunday, like beginning of Easter message uh, kind of thing, but um, yeah, let's pray. So, Father, we thank you again that we can just meet online, Lord, to study your word. I thank you for every person, Lord, every individual, Lord, man and woman, maybe child, Lord, who's tuning in, God, to hear what you have to say to the church. God, I pray that you would give us ears, Lord. Tune our ears to hear what you're saying to us tonight, Lord, in this day and age, Lord, that we don't rely on yesterday's manna, Lord, but that we would seek today's bread, Lord, the bread of life, that the daily bread, God, and that you would give that to us tonight, Lord, that we would hunger and thirst for you and that we would leave satisfied, God. So we pray that you'd bless all of this. Again, bless the internet connections so that we can uh, not have any difficulties and that nobody would be um, cut off or dropped um, signal, but that we would hear the words you want to share with us tonight, Lord. So we pray that you go before us and have your way in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So uh, tonight's message, uh, I've titled it The Danger of Unrealistic Expectations. And so if you take notes, you guys can actually jot that down. Um, It's a message I actually shared with our college group a few months ago as we were going through Matthew. And I was thinking about, well, what do I share on Palm Sunday? Well, probably the triumphal entry of Jesus would be good, right? Because that's where we get Palm Sunday from. But what I want to go through and I want to look at tonight, again, is some unrealistic expectations. And so what I want to ask is a question. Again, we're online and we're, we're um, doing this online chat. So if you guys have the ability, I just want you guys to answer this question or like do an emoji hand. And so how many of you guys here tonight tuning in with us have ever had an expectation of something or someone? I mean, that's the question. And so if you have ever had an expectation of something or someone, and so if that's you, go ahead and put a little hand up, a little thumbs up, like, yep, that's me, I've had one. And it's not a bad thing. I would say everybody in this chat right now, you should have your hand up. There's 16 people um, watching live on Facebook. We got five people on our Zoom chat as well. It's like, oh, look at that, hands up. That's what I'm talking about. Um, We've all had expectations. And so I was, I remember thinking, Oh, my iPhone's over there. I was looking for my phone. It's streaming. That's where it is. Um, But I had this expectation of my iPhone. You get it and you're basically, yes, this is a mini computer. It should be able to do everything that I do on my computer, but it's more convenient. It's in my pocket. It can go anywhere I want to go. And so that's kind of my thought. But when when we took my son to school, to preschool, um, we were paying for his schooling, right, once a month. And so the expectation I had of my iPhone is, well, hey, it's an iPhone 10. It should be able to do everything that my computer does. I should be able to pay all my bills on online on my phone. And so I'm going to pay the bill for my son's preschool. And I type in all the information. I get to the very end. I get to where you hit submit. I click submit. And for whatever reason, um, it goes blank and it doesn't work, right? So then I have to get out my computer, type it all in again, hit submit, and then it works. Well, my expectation of my iPhone was that I could do everything I can do on my computer on my iPhone and then this unrealistic I guess it's not really that unrealistic if we're honest it's a small example but that unrealistic expectation left unmet it bred um, just frustration I was frustrated about it and so maybe you guys have had some similar instances where you had something where you're like, hey, I have this expectation that it should do what it was made to do. Or maybe you've had an expectation of someone, right? Maybe a family member or friend where you're going through a hard time. Maybe you're going through a new transition. Maybe even just right now in life going through this COVID-19 season um, where maybe you've had a scare of maybe I'm sick. I don't know. Maybe um, my family member's sick. We don't know. And you've had this expectation, well, my friends and family are surely going to be there, 
for me, right? They're going to surely check in on me, but then they're actually the ones who stay the most distant from you, right? They don't check in on you. They don't come to your house because they don't want to get sick if you have it, but you have that expectation. And so when that, that expectation again goes unmet, it kind of leaves you thinking like, oh man, do they even care about me? Um, well, tonight we're going to look at what I think is like um, a pretty thought-provoking text, right? It's the triumphal entry of Jesus. But again, I think we're going to go with a, a little bit of a twist that isn't normally taught, at least not this angle of the text. And we're going to see some expectations that the people have of Jesus. We're going to see their response. But what we're going to do, we're going to build this week and next week. It's a two-part message, um, so be sure to come back next week. Um, but we're going to see the expectations of people tonight. And then next week, we're actually going to see those expectations and everything, their attitude change because their expectation isn't met. Um, there's a problem with unrealistic and unbiblical expectations. And I'll, I'll be honest, I put a lot of expectations on people at times, right? Uh, I, I expect things from them. When they don't meet it, it leaves me thinking, well, do they even care about me, right? But that's really not the truth. And so that's what unrealistic expectations would do is actually lead you to believe a lie, something that's not true. When it's like, hey, I feel like they don't love me. Then you come to the conclusion they don't love me. But really, you get the background stories like, well, I was at work. Then my wife called and I had to go home and the kids were making a mess and a fit and they were sick. And then you get the background story, like it's not that they don't love me or care about me, they just had other things going on. Unbiblical expectations um, that people believe and they kind of fall for all the time. It's like, well, they believe that when, they're, when they become a believer in Jesus, that they're going to be perfect and that they'll never sin again. But if, we're, if we actually look at scripture, that's not what the Bible teaches, right? We'll continue to struggle with sin um, until the day that we die or until Jesus comes back and takes us here. It's a process. It's called sanctification. And it's not something that just happens in the blink of an eye. Salvation is something that, hey, I believe in Jesus. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart um, and you will be saved. Salvation happens. Sanctification, though, is a process, something that you have to actually pursue, um, something that you have to have perseverance if you want to actually see some progress there. So we'll be made whole one day, but right now is not that day. Um, it's going to be when Jesus comes back. But that's an unbiblical expectation, and people will have that unrealistic, unbiblical expectation. And again, it leads people to think, well, I'm not perfect. I'm still struggling with sin. And if I'm struggling with sin, am I even a Christian? Um, and if I'm struggling with sin and I say I'm a Christian, I'm really just a hypocrite. And am I even really a believer? And then you start thinking crazy things like, well, is God even true? Is God even real? Right? So unrealistic, unbiblical expectations can really lead us astray. An unrealistic expectation I was thinking of even right now in these crazy days and times. And if anyone ever listens or watches this um, years from now, um, today is, uh, what is it, April 4th, two, uh, 2020. Uh, we're in the midst of this COVID-19 thing that you'll probably hear and see and read about for many years to come. But one video I was watching from a very popular guy, he speaks all over the place. Um, he's actually a brilliant guy too. Uh, that's why I tuned in. I was like, man, what does he have to say? But what he said was, he says in this day and age with the stock market, it's going down, that it's crashing and it's like all this stuff's happening. But he's like, calm down, take a deep breath it will come back. And he says this whole thing is going to blow over and the economy is going to bounce back. And he said that he believes it'll bounce back in a year or less, which I think is like, hey, that's great news. I love your optimism in this time of um, hurting and questions and all that. But really, if we're honest, you don't really know that. You're putting an unrealistic, unbiblical um, expectation, right, for people. Like, well, it's just going to come back. But how do we actually know that the economy is going to come back if we actually took it to scripture and we rooted our expectation of the world and the outlook on it if anything i would say that we should be looking at scripture and saying i think the end might be near right earthquakes we got wars rumors of wars love growing cold um, the world's coming together in this way that seems like love and supporting one another and, and that sounds good and looks good and all but really it's one step closer to a one world power a one world uh, government um, right now, they're talking about doing away with cash, right? A cashless society, and they're trying to introduce the digital dollar, um, one world currency. And again, it just makes it one step closer to actually making that happen in a reality. 
and one step closer to the mark of the beast. Um, we're seeing large gatherings being prohibited, churches um, in particular, I would say. And there's one state that I read about, and they were actually talking about fining people uh, $2,500 per person for meeting together um, for Easter Sunday because the church had thought about trying to do something in the parking lot. And then they, they said they'll be fined $2,500 and they'll be given a misdemeanor for meeting together. And so what we see, like when we look at scripture, like Jesus says, things are going to get worse. He says that um, trials are going to come. Persecution is going to come. And I mean, guys, we've been, I've been talking about it and preaching about it forever, but I never knew what it was actually going to look like. And I'm not saying that Jesus is going to come back tomorrow, but he could is the point. Um, but you just think about it. It's like, man, we thought like, oh, we got the freedom to praise God all the time. We can always meet together. Um, we got this tremendous um, privilege, but it's like that privilege, if you look at it, is being pulled away. And I think many people would say like, well, no, it's a good thing because we're not spreading the disease and things like that. But really, if you look at it, I think Satan's working something underneath and he's trying to disrupt church, um, people from gathering together online. Uh, another thing that I see, and this is this is totally a side note, we're not even in the Bible study. For, so for those of you guys joining, you're just getting some free um, thoughts, all right, a little piece of weiss right now. Um, but what we see again is like the whole world right now, um, well, not right now, but in Revelation it says that the whole world will become rich off of mystery Babylon. A lot of people have their thoughts of who that is, where that'll be, what's going to actually happen. And I'm not saying that it is the United States, just to make that clear. But it is interesting to note that what last week, last Friday, um, not yesterday, but the week before, they passed the largest bill in the history of the United States, $2.2 trillion, trillion dollars. Let that sink in. I don't even know what $2.2 trillion looks like when you put out all the zeros. Um, when you put out all those zeros, hopefully it's still streaming. Uh, my phone just uh, had a little alert. But anyways, they passed this bill, $2.2 trillion, largest bill in U.S. history in record time. It took three days for the whole House and Senate to agree upon this thing and pass it, which at least for Donald Trump has not been something that has happened. He just saw nothing but pushback and taking things just crazy lengths of time. But really, again, what I'm seeing is like, okay, well, if they've passed $2.2 trillion right now to kind of help make the United States people more wealthy, pumping that into our economy, what's to say that they can't do it or some other country won't do it again on a bigger level, right? It's like these are all small steps closer to the end. Every little thing, in my opinion, is leading us to be desensitized. And hear me on this. I think we got to be careful as, as Christians. Leading us to be desensitized a little bit more every single day, right? Again, the digital dollar, just the idea of it, right? It's like 50 years ago, if you would have told that to my grandma and grandpa, they'd be like, you're crazy. You're never going to get rid of cash. It's cash is here to stay. Um, and that's just the way it's going to be. It's the way it'll always be, right? You're crazy. And we're not going to go to digital dollar. Like the thought of that would have been blasphemous, right? But now today, even people like me, you think about it you're like, well, that actually makes some sense, right? Because it's, and you think about it again, it's desensitizing us as Christians in this world to actually move towards the mark of the beast. I don't know, just a crazy thing, but all that to say that expectations can be dangerous. Um, so when we have expectations of scripture and we think, no, this is the way that it's going to go. Jesus or God said in Jeremiah 29, 11, that I have plans and a future for you, plans to make you pros prosperous, not to harm you. Um, we take that and we're like, well, then that must be me in this day and age. But if we think about it, God spoke that in Jeremiah's day. Um, and so what is he speaking to us in our day? And so if we have wrong expectations, we think, oh, God's going to do everything that he did for Jeremiah or those people in that day for us. Um, we might be setting ourselves up for some shortcomings. And that's just some biblical, um, unbiblical expectations, if you think. Think about it. Um, but expectations in the real world, things that could lead you astray and discourage you. Um, having unrealistic expectations in marriage is a huge reason why I've seen problems in marriages just as a pastor over my six years at Calvary Tucson. Um, but they have unrealistic expectations going into marriage. They thought that, oh, my spouse will change. Yeah, they smoke a little bit of weed right now. And uh, yeah, they watch pornography and yeah, they do those other things and, um, and and he drinks a little too much and he probably shouldn't, right? But I think he'll change. He'll he'll change. At least I hope he changes. 
Well, the years go by and he never changes. And then that creates um, tension in the marriage, in the relationship. And people will actually get divorced because of that kind of stuff. Well, you're always the same, right? And you're always just nagging me. And then the husband's like, but you married me and I was this way. And then the wife's like, yeah, but I thought you would change and doesn't do it. Um, other things too, it's like uh, maybe she, the wife thought, well, they're going to mature a little bit. They're going to grow up. They're going to snap out of this phase. They'll start to do their own laundry, fold it, put it away. And I just got to say, ladies, it's an unrealistic expectation. All right, guys are just going to leave their clothes on the floor. And uh, if you don't want that, just don't get married. That's all there is to it. Um, maybe uh, unrealistic for guys even. It's like they think that, oh, well, they're going to have this time alone with the wife, this intimate time all the time. But that doesn't happen because life is real, right? Um, there's times when they think like, oh, well, we're going to have a great job and we're going to have a future and a big house and a nice car. We're going to have dogs in the yard. Everything's going to be great. But really the real the reality is they're broke. They don't know how they're going to make their bills next week, right? Someone lost their job. Um, they don't know how they're going to make it. Another expectation, oh, I think kids is going to be fun. It's going to be great. And then you have kids. It's hard. It's tiresome and sometimes expensive, right? And it feels impossible. And so unrealistic expectations just in the real world and everyday things like life um, and marriage and just the biblical expectations and faith that we have, um, having those unrealistic expectations set us up for failure. Would you guys agree? If you guys are still uh, tracking with me online, thumbs up, high five, something. All right. Cool. We got some people there. All right. And so tonight, um, Palm Sunday is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at some a group of people who have unrealistic expectations. And I know I said Palm Sunday, but it's Palm Saturday, I guess you could say. Um, next week, we will meet again for Easter on Saturday. Um, but let's check it out. All right. We already prayed. That was my introduction, unrealistic expectations, the danger of it. Now let's check it out. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. It says this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a beast of burden. So I want to pause there real quick. And so what we see here is the triumphal entry of Jesus, getting set up anyways. And so Jesus, up to this point, uh, many of you guys know the gospel of Jesus. He's been the healer. He's been the the person who's raised Lazarus from the dead. He's the miracle worker, um, way maker, um, light in the darkness. Come on now, you know what I'm talking about. And so, but he's been doing all these things and people are starting to know him. So they're like, oh, Jesus, yeah, I've heard about him. He's the guy that made Lazarus rise from the dead, right? Oh yeah, man, that'd be cool to meet him, see what's going on. Um, oh yeah, Jesus, he's the guy who spit in the dirt and he rubbed the mud on the dude's eyes and we all thought it was really disgusting and kind of messed up that he would mess with a, a blind person like that in public, but then the guy got his sight back and it was absolutely crazy and amazing. Um, oh yeah, Jesus, the guy, like everybody was hungry because we were watching his sermon that never ended all day long and um, someone's at the door. Um, all day long, I probably should get that, huh? Is that weird? Kind of weird, I don't know. Who's there? One moment, please hold. If something happens and an armed robber comes in, we live at... No, I can't tell you all my address. There's a bunch of people, I don't a lie right there. That's just an unrealistic expectation kind of thing. He thinks we're going to pay for it, but I know I can go get the pest killer at the store for super cheap and I can make it super strong and kill everything in sight. All right, guys, life hack. Boom. There you go. You're welcome. Um, we'll get back to the word momentarily. Should I just... ah, anyways, who cares? Um, so anyways, I don't know what I was talking about. Um, I'm talking about Jesus and how he is the way maker, uh, miracle worker, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. 
Um, it's a song, it's great, and uh, I'm singing every single day. It's stuck in my head for life. But he is that, and so he's the one who's raised Lazarus. Oh yeah, he went, fed the 5,000 people, right? They're out there. Hey, we got this never-ending sermon. Jesus is just preaching and preaching and preaching, and he's healing and healing and healing. Long day. It's like, hey guys, we're hungry. We're going to get some food. Oh, well, everything's shut down because of COVID-01, um, and so we can't do anything. And Jesus is like, hey, you give somebody, give them something to eat. And so Jesus multiplies the loaves and the bread, and so he makes everybody eat, right? So again, Jesus' fame is actually growing. People are getting to know him, and they're hearing about him, that he is not just a normal dude. He is, like, um, doing some crazy stuff. And so his fame is rising, rising up, and, um, and now he's about to enter into this triumphal entry, right? So again, remember, people know Jesus. Um, big deal. So they draw near to Jerusalem again, verse 1. Jesus sent two disciples out, go into a village in front of you, and you'll find a donkey and a colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them the Lord needs them. And one thing I just want to note here is that the, the Lord does not need many things. The Lord doesn't need our gifting per se. All right, I think some of us, we get so um, tied up in like pridefulness arrogance really and we just think oh well the lord needs me right i just started this job um, at fedex and it's uh, as a package handler it's very easy as a package handler to kind of have the mindset where it's like like don't tell me what to do because you need me because i'm the one that's doing your work but the reality of it is they could just fire me at any moment and they're like actually you're very replaceable easily replaceable right and i think sometimes that's what jesus could kind of say to us it's like well god you need me right but Jesus is like, no, actually, I can make another one of you tomorrow if I wanted to. But what we see here in the scripture is that the Lord needs something. What I love about the scripture is that it's a donkey and a colt. He doesn't say, hey, go get a stallion and go get sea biscuit and bring him over here. I'm going to ride him in uh, into Jerusalem. It's going to be this great scene and everybody's going to worship me and all that. No, he says, go get a donkey and a colt. Very specific. And so he gets like the lowly things. And that's something that you see in Jesus' ministry is like he takes the lowly things of the earth, things that we don't value of much anyways, and he actually does the miraculous through it. And I think there's something that just to be said about that. Like again, when he heals the blind guy, he spits in the dirt, the dirt. Like the dirt is almost worthless, we could say. But Jesus is the God who will actually take the dirt, he'll form clay in it, breathe breath into it, and it'll live, right? He makes miracles out of it. Um, he's the one who would take... Um, the stone jars for making wine, right? He says, hey, go get some water. And these jars were the jars that they would actually wash their hands in, right? And again, think about it in today's age, like we're all afraid of COVID-19. It's like, so just imagine a bunch of people washing their hands over there for this wedding feast, um, getting all purified, right? And then Jesus is like, yeah, go get that water and bring it here. And now we're gonna go give that to the, uh, the groom's bride, right? We'd be like, that is pretty jacked up, Jesus. But it was the best wine that the guy had ever tasted. He takes the lowly things of the world and he does the greatest things in the world. And so that's what he's doing here. And I just love the humility in it. It's like, he doesn't need something flashy and fancy. He just, he just needs these things. And I just love the example there. So he says, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. Verse 4 says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a beast of burden. And so again, I just want to say here, so this is actually from Zechariah, or Zechariah uh, chapter 9, I believe verse 9, maybe verse 10. And it was prophesied in the Old Testament. And so he talks about this, Zechariah writing it down. It's like, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey. And he talks about this picture that they're going to see one day. And so now Jesus is actually entering into the village, into Jerusalem. And he's going to be making this scene on a donkey with a colt, just like it was said here. And the thing is about this is that the Pharisees, the scribes, they should know about this moment. Um, they're the ones who, like, if you would take out a piece of scripture in, um, in the Old Testament, like, they know it so well, they could actually fill in the gap that was missing again. That's how much of a, a student of the word they were. So when they heard this, or if they, if they saw this, it should ring a bell. Like, I've heard this before. I, I think it might have been, maybe it's Jeremiah. No, no, no. Zechariah. Yeah. Um, chapter 9, verse, verse 9. It's like, that would ring a bell for these guys. And so he's, he's doing this whole thing, setting up this whole thing to, to uh, 
fulfill scripture. Again, he says the Lord needs it. The reason he needed it was because it needed to be fulfilled. See, God has his word, and what we're waiting right now is like a lot of the New Testament, right? Matthew chapter 24, I believe, is starting to unfold. We see the birth pains of the world. Um, Revelation, obviously, we got all kinds of stuff in there. And what I would say about Revelation is sometimes we have our expectations of what we think is going to happen. But as the church, I think we need to hold it with open hands and say, God, this is what I think might be happening or is going to happen. But I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to see what happens. And Because the Old Testament... Uh, church, they thought they knew who the Messiah was going to be, and then they saw it actually unfold, and they're like, no, that's not our king, right? What do we see today? Not my president, right? Kind of thing. It's like, no, that's not my king. So um, verse 6, it goes on, it says, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. So they bring the donkey and the colt, Jesus gets on it, he sits on it. Verse 9, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, so they're taken off essentially their jackets, right? Their jackets, their sweaters, their sweatshirts, and they're throwing them on the road. What they're doing with that is showing honor, respect, worship really is what they're doing. They're rolling out the red carpet with what they have here, which is a beautiful sight, right? We should take everything that we have um, to worship Jesus. And so most of the crowd spread their uh, cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This would be the palm branches. This is where we get Palm Sunday, right? This is a week before Jesus was crucified on the cross. If you didn't know that, um, there you go. Spoiler alert for next week's message. Um, but a week before Jesus is crucified. And so you think back again, it's like, well, people know Jesus. They know him as a good guy, someone who's healing people, someone who's feeding people. Like he is this provider, this healer. Um, man, let's go. And they see him start to fulfill the scripture. Like, let's worship him. Let's worship him. And so they, they spread their cloaks on the ground. They cut the branches, palm branches. Palm branches would signify victory. Um, or success, if you will. And so the picture that we get is, is Jesus is entering this. They're laying down their stuff, worshiping him, right? That he would trample over top of it is really what's happening. And this wouldn't be like laying it on the ground in your house or, or at your church building, wherever you might have gone to church, right? This is on the dirt, out in Mother Nature, you know what I'm saying? And so like they're going to get dirty and muddy. And so they throw their cloaks down. They're waving palm branches, basically saying, victorious are you um you are the successful one you are the king in in revelation chapter 7 i forget what verse it is but it talks about the same exact thing that's going to happen when jesus comes back again and it's like we're all going to have these branches and we're all going to be gathered together so many of us that you can't count how great the multitude is and we're going to be waving these palm branches and stuff and really what it's saying is like you're the victorious one jesus and so that's the picture that we get here which is just super exciting gets me pumped up because uh, I can't wait for that day. But look at verse 9. He says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, and check this out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to the Son of David. If you know what Hosanna means and you're tracking online, I'm on Facebook, can you type in what it means? I just want to read see. What does Hosanna mean? Come on, there's 19 of you guys. Take a guess. Okay, nobody wants to take a guess. All right, well, anyways, or maybe you did and it's just lagging. My TV screen's not. But Facebook, hopefully you guys are tuning in, you're listening to this. It's a little bit of an interactive thing here. Um, there we go. John and Angie Murray, save now. Thank you very much, Gold Star. Elizabeth Antrobus, my mother-in-law. Praise, exactly, and that's what it is. Hosanna is this word that we would use to praise God. We say Hosanna in the highest, right? And really what it means is what John and Angie said. It means save now. So just think about what the people are saying. They're laying down their stuff on the ground that Jesus could walk over it, right? Um, fulfilling scripture and um, this triumphal entry. They're laying down their stuff. They're waving palm branches saying, victorious are you? And they're saying, Hosanna, save now, son of David. And again, if you go back to scripture, man, it's just a great Bible study that you should do one day if you haven't ever done it. But just looking at how Jesus is in the line of David, like God said, and it, I forget where, maybe it's um, 1 Samuel chapter 12, I can't remember, but he talks to David and he says that I'm going to make your throne rule and reign forever. He says like, and uh, anyways, what he's getting at is saying Jesus is going to be the one that's going to sit on it and rule and reign 
forever. And so it's just such a cool thing. And the picture that we see in Matthew 21 is this picture of it all being fulfilled. It seems, this is what you would think, is that these people get it. Don't you think? But, but the thing that I want to get at again is unrealistic expectations, misplaced expectations. See, what they're doing is they're praising Jesus, which is a great thing. And I don't want to knock praising Jesus in any way, shape, or form. But if, if I give you a little spoiler alert, a week from this day, the same people who were praising Jesus and saying Hosanna were the ones who were yelling, crucify him. So something had changed. And what I believe it is, is that there was an unmet, unrealistic, unbiblical expectation rooted in there where they thought Jesus was going to do one thing and be somebody that they wanted and Jesus is like, that's not actually what I came to do or fulfill. I actually had a plan and a mission, um, and it had involved me being crucified on a cross. And, and uh, so anyways, but they're all yelling out, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Right? People who didn't know Jesus are like, what's going on? Uh, and I think that's what our praise should do sometimes. It should just draw a crowd. People are like, what are you guys singing over there? Right, you ever been bumping some Jesus music? Um, for me, some rap with some of my friends. People are like, who is this? You know, it's like, oh, it's Lecrae, or this is Andy Minio, or this is Solomon. Yeah, shout out to my boy Solomon. Yeah, uh, he's probably not watching because he doesn't have Facebook, but you're welcome. Um, but he says, who is this? And then the people say in verse 11, and the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And I don't think they're just like, oh, that's just Jesus of of Nazareth, what good can come from Nazareth, right? We know that's in scripture in some place. Um, but I believe they're excited about it. They're like, yeah, I just laid my cloaks down. I just, I'm, I'm praising him. I'm waving my palm branches. We're screaming Hosanna in the highest, um, uh, the king, the son of David. And so this is Jesus. And I think, again, that's what we should do. Our praise should cause people to say, who are you talking to? What are you doing? What is this all about? And it's like, what's well, about Jesus, right? Um, but in the midst of this, I want to note something. Jesus, and I think this is in Luke either 19 or 21, Jesus pauses. He's on his way into Jerusalem. He pauses for a moment, and it says that he looked at Jerusalem, kind of like he has this overlook of Jerusalem, and it says that he wept. Um, he wept bitterly. And so it's just interesting to me. It's like, how could something <coughs> so, so exciting so praiseworthy, right? It's like, hey, we just got out of this praise party. It's amazing. We got your donkey and cold Jesus, and it's going to be great. We're going to fulfill scripture today. It's going down. Jesus, can't you believe it? It's amazing. And then Jesus, at the same time, he's looking over Jerusalem, and he's sad. And the realization and the truth of the matter is that Jesus is looking over Jerusalem, and he knows that these people are going to praise him, they know that they're going to worship him. They're going to lay everything they got down. And that's a good thing again. But he knows that they have unrealistic expectations and that those expectations are going to lead them to betray him eventually. Like, isn't that crazy? Like Jesus is weeping for them because he's like, yes, I know that you're going to come try to worship me. But the problem is you don't really get it. You say you get it, but you don't get it is what's going on there. And so... Jesus weeps, and this is why I believe it is in verse 12 of Matthew 21. So after this praise party goes down, Jesus weeps a bit, um, somewhere in that mix as well. In verse 12, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. I just want to pause there again. So we got this um, big praise party that's going on, right? Um, fun times for sure. Uh, people praising Jesus. They're um, proclaiming Hosanna, Son of David. Like they got all of it right. Like it sounds good on paper, right? It's like, man, these guys are theologically sound. Um, but then Jesus goes into the temple. And so pretty... It seems like a pretty normal day, right? Jesus going to the temple wouldn't be weird. Jesus going to the temple would just be like us going to church service on Sunday morning kind of thing where it's like, it's not weird. That's just part of what we do. We like to be at church. Jesus liked to be at the temple. He liked to teach people. He wanted to tell them the truth. And so he goes to the temple. And But again, 
talking about expectations, the expectations of the people, especially the crowds following him, going to the temple is like, oh, now we're going to get turned up for reals. Like we just had a praise party. Now Jesus is going to feed us the word. Oh, this is going to be such a great thing. This is going to be Sermon on the Mount part two. You know what I'm saying? And But then Jesus goes in and he totally doesn't do anything that any of us, I think, would expect. And he flips over the, again, the money changers tables and the seats of those who sold pigeons. So he's turning over tables. Just think of your church lobby, right? I think of my old church, Calvary Tucson, and it had tables set up. I just picture Jesus coming in there right into the lobby, flipping over these little six-foot picnic tables, right? Flipping them over. And then he says he's flipping over the seats of the pigeon, uh, people selling pigeons. And so just imagine Jesus going into the sanctuary. He starts to push over chairs, the seats, like, hey, like this isn't right. And then he says to them, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Again, I think this is some part of part of the unrealistic expectations. A lot of times we think that, oh, well, I praise Jesus and everything's going to be. So if you guys are joining back on Facebook, um, sorry about that. I had a little technical issue. Don't know what it was, but um, hopefully you find your way back to this live stream. But moving on. So Jesus enters into the temple. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And this is probably why this whole thing cut out, because I felt like I was going to say something um, good. And I told Amber earlier, I think this is going to be a challenging word, especially to the church these days and where we're at right now. And we all think like, oh, this is going to blow over. Everything's going to be good. Um, and maybe it will. OK, I don't want to say that it won't. But I want to say this, that maybe Jesus right now is turning over the tables of our churches right now. Like churches can't meet together. Maybe Jesus is the one who's like, he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to say something. It's like, hey, you guys have set up some things. In order, I know you guys got praise parties that go on for days. I know that your lights are amazing, that your sound system's amazing, that you got these projectors that are just super HD, that it looks better than life itself kind of thing. And maybe Jesus is saying right here, is he just saying, hey, I'm hitting the pause button on on what you think is church, on your expectations of church, and I'm actually trying to get you to realize that, um, oh man, I don't want that to play. We're gonna get some Jimmy uh, Fallon here in a second. <laughs> Great, technology is just distracting everything. Just exit that out, that's all I gotta do, who cares? All right. Um, but maybe Jesus is just hitting the pause button right now. He's trying to say this to us. He's like, hey, I know you got this great praise. I know that's going out to all the world, right? Technology, and we see these churches. They got great worship teams, super blessed by them. But maybe Jesus is like, hey, you got the praise down, but you don't have the heart quite yet. I know you think you do. I know you think everything is good. But he's telling us, hey, look at yourself. Second Chronicles um, 7, 13, and 14 is where God tells um, Solomon, he says that if I pour out a pestilence on the people, if I withhold rain, if I bring locusts to devour the land, he says, if I do all these things and it happens, he says, but if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, pray and seek me, turn from their wicked ways, um, I will heal and forgive them and I'll heal their land. It's like, so I think Jesus right now, he's just saying like, man, I'm putting the pause button. Like you can't even meet in church together because Jesus is like, hey, I want to re, uh, not redefine it, but I want to come back to the meaning of church. Like, hey, we're gathering together. It's not about fancy lights, not about fancy sound system and who can play the guitar better and sing better. It's just about Jesus getting together. So whether that's online right now, like we're doing or not, like we, we're getting together. And so maybe that's what's happening. I don't know. But, um, but I do want to ask the question for you guys personally, on a personal matter, is Jesus trying to turn over the tables in your hearts today? Maybe you think that you got things down and you're like, but I praise Jesus today, this morning. I was listening to that song, Waymaker, and I was singing along, I was praising, I had my hands raised, had it turned up, it was great. But maybe Jesus is saying, I, I know you got the praise down, but maybe he's trying to deal with the deeper issue right now. Maybe he's flipping over the tables in your heart. Before I became a Christian, some of the tables that Jesus flipped in my heart, um, drugs, alcohol, anger, cussing, those are just to name a few. And it was like, as I participated in those things, I felt like Jesus would flip over the table of my heart where he's like, hey, drugs aren't good. You can't have any of this here if you want to worship me. And so what he was, what he was doing is he's just, he's flipping it over and he's saying, now what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it now? And the thing that I would do, and many of us do every time Jesus comes in and he, he, 
disrupts our life for a minute is that we see it happen. We acknowledge that Jesus is trying to get our attention, that he's focused in on an area. and He's like, hey, these drugs, it's not good. It's got to go. Hey, this lust, it's not good. It's got to go. Hey, uh, this um, anger issue, it's bad. It's got to go. The thing is, he'll flip it over. And then it's almost like the next morning or after we leave church service or whatever um, the case is, we'll grab all our things, you know, and we set our table back up. And it's like, yeah, I know what Jesus said, but I'm going to put all my stuff back on the table because it's comfortable. It's what I know. It's how I make a living. And these people here in this chapter too, they're just making a living. They're selling pigeons to the people. But what they're doing is they're hindering the people. And so I just want to challenge you with that mindset that maybe what you guys are, are setting up on your tables, metaphorically speaking, right, on the table of your heart, um, maybe it's hindering people from coming to Jesus. Especially in times like now, like we don't need any more stumbling blocks in the way. Right now, we don't need anyone to be able to be like, hey, well, yeah, I hear what you're saying and you're praising Jesus and you got this praise party going on, but you got this huge sin in your life right now too because you're cheating on your wife or you're cheating on these things or you're doing drugs and you're drinking more than you should and you're angry all the time, right? And Jesus is like, get rid of it because it's keeping people from knowing me. So again, what the question is just, what sin might there be in your life that Jesus is trying to uproot? Even as a Christian, Jesus is still going to try and turn over the tables of your hearts. For me at times, it's unrealistic expectations that are, are rooted in uh, me thinking people are going to come through in some type of way, and then it leaves me bitter. And so then Jesus will actually flip over the table of, of bitterness, and I feel like Jesus challenges me. He's like, what are you going to do about it now, Nick? What are you going to do about it now? Are you going to go back to bitterness and be bitter and not accomplish anything? And then the Bible actually says that the root of bitterness will actually deceive many, like it will spread. Um, it's like, or are you going to get rid of it and repent of it and I'll heal and forgive you? So same question to you guys tonight is just on Palm Sunday, as we're talking about Jesus and his triumphal entry, like he is the Messiah. He is everything that these people said. He is the one who's going to save, um, but he is also the one who flips over the tables right after this scene happens. Um, and I just love that he says, my house shall be called the house of prayer. God's house should be a place where people can come pray. And he says, um, it, I forget um, where it might be Luke or John, but he says it'll be called the house of prayer of all nations, meaning that everybody from every tongue and tribe and nation can come and seek the Lord. And that's what God wants. He's like, it should be a house of prayer. But just again, just in this day and time too, just really thinking about it, like, man, what have we made church today? Church is not so much about the gathering together and let's talk about scripture and let's talk about each other's needs and prayer requests and stuff. It's more of like a, um, a consumer product where it's like, well, what church is better? Oh, this church is great. And I heard this person speaking today. So let's go to that church instead. And we're going to consume, um, consume what they have. And we actually are just like comparing and we're not really doing what Jesus wants us to do, a house of prayer, a place where we can seek God. And so I just want to be careful. I just want to kind of um, encourage you guys to think about that. When we're thinking about, man, I miss church. It's like, but what is church? Uh, I've heard it a lot these last few days. Church is the people. It's not the building, and that's totally what it is. But um, maybe we have some un or misplaced or unrealistic expectations of what we believe church should be. Maybe Jesus wants to flip over those tables there. Um, I wanted to. I want to end and wrap this thing up here. Um, let's just skip to, or we'll go to verse eighteen. We'll do this little chunk of the fig tree and we'll close it up. And he says, verse eighteen of chapter twenty-one. In the morning, so this is the next day after he flipped over the tables. As he was returning to the city, he became hungry. This is Jesus. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And just one thing I want to note now is like what we see is like the expectations are almost flipped. Jesus now has expectations of the fig tree. 
The fig tree is said to be a picture of Israel throughout Scripture um, when it's referenced. And so Jesus goes to this fig tree. He's hungry, and so he expects, what do you think? If you're following along, what does Jesus want from a fig tree? Come on, hit me with it. Someone said amen, but I'm looking for the answer, and it's probably just lagging a little bit, and that's okay. And somebody probably said figs, because you guys have got to be some smart people, right? You guys said figs up here um, on Zoom. They got a better feed, yeah. Oh, figs, right? Fig Newtons. No. Uh, anybody like Fig Newtons? They're not bad. <laughs> um, but he expects figs here. So he's like, hey, I'm going to the fig tree because I'm hungry and I want figs. But then he goes to the fig tree, finds nothing, right? And it's like now his expectations are left unmet. Jesus' expectations, though. Jesus has the only right, if anybody, to have expectations of people. And like if his expectation is for you to do something, then that's what you should be doing. And so I, what I want to say in closing here, with unrealistic expectations and the danger of, of having them, I guess, um, but I want to flip it to Jesus' expectation of us, is that Jesus expects you to be like a fig tree, but he expects you to be fruitful. It's not not unrealistic. It's not uh, far-fetched. Like if I had an orange tree outside to be like, hey, my orange tree should have oranges, right? That, that's just a no-brainer. And I think in the same sense, it's kind of true where it's just like, hey, like a Christian, like if I'm a Christian, I should be bearing fruit. Well, what do those fruits look like? Well, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, um, faithfulness, and self-control. Um, maybe I missed one or two, but like those are the fruits that the Christian should be bearing. But if Jesus comes to you, and if he came to you today, even after you gave him praise and you laid down your garments and you said, hey, victorious, Hosanna, um, son of David, Messiah is essentially what they're saying. It's like, would Jesus find fruit? Or, or would he just be like, when he comes to the fig tree, I'm hungry, I expect something, and he finds nothing. I want to encourage you guys in these days is like to really press into the Lord. Don't feed into like expectations from the world and what they think is going to happen, um, how things are going to pan out. And also what I want to say is don't just expect and just assume that you're a Christian. I want you to actually think about that for yourself. Jesus says, he says in Matthew chapter 7, um, that many are going to come to me on that day, which is the day of the Lord. And they're going to say to me, Lord, Lord. Um, we cast out demons and we did all these works in your name. And then Jesus is going to say something and really take it to heart. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. And yes, that is my child screaming if you hear her. Um, but he says, depart from me. I never knew you. And, I, and I, my prayer is that that would never happen to us. That we would dive into scripture more and more. Um, as the day draws near. What I want to say too is people think like, oh, the economy is going to bounce back and things, and maybe it will again. Um, but what I want to say is like, if we believe that God is the author of time, time having a beginning and an end, then that, then that means that we believe there's an end. And so each day that we're living is one day closer to the end. And as we're living that, like we need to actually push in. We need to know Jesus. We need to know who he is. We need to bear fruit. And again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and it's just like, what better time in history, or at least our lifetime, has Jesus set us up with such a great message of hope and life and salvation and comfort and peace, um, all those things, than right now? Like, the whole world wants hope, and they want some, some reassurance of some sort. The problem is, like, you're not going to find it in your bank account. You're not going to find it in your 401k, and you're not going to find it in any person other than Jesus, where he's going to be the one who's going to fulfill, because he is the only one who we were created to. Um, he is the one who created us, and he is the only one who can fulfill us and sustain us. Can I get an amen if you believe? Amen. I don't know if that's even if that even all made sense, but... Um, to, to close out this night is what I want to say is like this Palm Sunday, a lot of people focus on the praise and I think the praise is great, but the praise, praising Jesus doesn't mean that you're good with Jesus. Does that make sense? Praising Jesus doesn't mean that you're good with Jesus. Like it's, well, I praise Jesus today. Oh, I gave my tithe in the offering box, but do you know Jesus? That's the question. And so I want to leave you guys with that. And so don't just expect and assume that you're a Christian and getting to heaven. Actually know Jesus and know him like you would know a friend or that you would know your spouse. And it's like, yes, I know Jesus. And 
I believe it's Paul, he writes in uh, one of his letters, he says like, let us be prepared so that when he comes on that day, we don't shy away in, in cowardice and in shame, but we're actually excited and we're just confident that yes, this is the God that I've been serving. This is the God that I love, that I praise, that I have given my life to and that I'm following. And it's like, when he comes back, we're gonna know without a shadow of a doubt, like yeah, like I am his and he is mine. And I'm ready. And so I just hope that you guys would pour into scripture in these days, these times. Know Jesus more now than you ever have before. Um, and just know that he is working. He is up to something. Um, and so next week, what we're going to do, just give you a little um, snapshot ahead. We're going to talk about the Easter message, the resurrection, the crucifixion, or the crucifixion and the resurrection. And again, what I want to hit is off of this message, how these people were praising Jesus on one weekend and then the next weekend they're screaming, crucify him. And so things have changed. And so we see unmet um, expectations leading to um, leading to uh, crucifixion, if you will, betrayal. Um, so it's crazy. Um, and I think that the same things can happen to us. And so that's, we'll talk about that for our Easter message. Um, but let's pray and uh, we'll get out of here. So Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you that uh, your word is good. It's always good. And we just pray that we would, that you would give us more understanding of what it means. God, help us to draw close to you. And as we draw close to you, Lord, as you say in scripture, you will draw close to us, God. And so I pray that you would draw closer to us and we would all, we would all be closer to you than ever before. Lord, that we'd hear your voice, even if it's still small and and faint, Lord, that we'd be tuned in, God, that we would know your voice when we hear it over the shouting of the world. And God, help us just not to uh, just assume that just because we praised you, that everything's good with you. God, if you want to turn over tables in our hearts, God, we ask that you would do that, Lord, and that you would help us to repent of these sins, Lord, humble ourselves, seek you, God, and that we would see you forgive us and heal our land, God. We pray right now for the season of COVID-19 and just everything going on. We pray that you would just kill this disease, Lord, this virus, that it would cease to be, Lord. We pray that you would just heal every single person that has it, Lord, that they wouldn't die. And God, that we would just see you work miraculously right now in history, more than ever before, God. And Lord, use us. Lord, wake up your saints. Lord, wake up your children, Lord, to do the work of ministry. And may we be excited about it, God, and just see you move in mighty ways like we've never seen before. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you all for joining um, on Facebook and all that. I do want to say, like, we are in some exciting times. Like, I think if the Bible were still being written today, like, I think this would probably be in there somewhere. You know, it'd be in whatever book it would be called. Um, and and it'd talk about this plague that plagued the land. And then God got the whole world's attention. Like, I don't know. I just think it would be in the Bible. And so we're going to see something crazy happen. Um, and so I just hope that you guys are staying close to Jesus. Exciting times for sure. Um, but come back next week um, for our Easter message. Thanks for joining. And uh, if you enjoyed this, leave a little message, a note or something. Um, share it on your Facebook wall. And next week, we, we want to try and do some like social fellowship through Zoom or something. But we'll see if that actually happens. So anyways, stay tuned. But have a good week. Peace out.